We're in Mark chapter five. Y'all didn't, didn't Zach do such a good job last week? We were so blessed. I saw him somewhere. Thank you, Zach. We love you. So blessed. Mark five, we're going to start in verse 14. We'll work through 20 today. We got a, we got a smaller text and it's kind of the follow up of where Zach took us last week, but there's some implications of the passage I want to take some time to talk about. Let me pray for the word. Lord, anoint this time. Your word is holy to us. It is precious to me, Lord, precious to us. So today I, I just, I pray, Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross. Anything that comes out of this mouth that's not of you, let it fall to the wayside. And Lord, I just ask that your word would pierce, would transform, would convict. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Today, again, we're reading of what I would call the aftermath of the deliverance of the demoniac, um, the garrison demoniac. Thousands of demons, remember, come out of this man. Now he stands delivered, free, and the lingering question for him is, what now? Okay, the man's been living in tombs for years. Um, might have to get an apartment, I don't know. There, there's some questions to be answered. Again, this, this encounter is life-changing. I want to draw a few, uh, kind of hash out a few nuances that I think will be really helpful for us. Um, it's often said that movements like ours are experience-driven. We want the encounter with Jesus that's life-transforming. And, and, and we do. Um, there, there's, there's nothing anti-biblical about pursuing the Holy Spirit, wanting more of the Holy Spirit. What is anti-biblical is living a life that only pursues hype and, and not embracing discipleship. So let me say this. Healthy, mature churches learn tension and balance. Okay, the, the paradoxes of Scripture, we learn to embrace both. So the sovereignty of God is there. Okay, God is sovereign over all things. The responsibility of mankind is there. We've got to embrace both. We embrace the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit and the, the sufficiency of the scriptures, right? We're a Bible church and spirit church. And as uh, immature is maybe a strong word, but an unhealthy thing to do is to say, I'm going to be a Bible person and, and anything that looks like encounter, I'm going to turn my head from, um, and also, it's very unhealthy when churches go to this place to say, um, we're just going to be experienced churches and we're not going to study the Bible. We're just going to follow the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, the Holy Spirit gave you the Bible to mature you. So I don't know. I'd start there. Um, so so the balance is important. Corey Tim Boone, we were talking about this this week, used to say, all word and you'll dry up, all spirit and you'll blow up, word and spirit and you'll grow up. Okay, we, we want to grow up. We want to We want to grow up. And so... What Steve Hill used to say this at Brownsville, and I think Leonard Ravenhill said this before him. He used to say, I don't care how high you jump in the worship service. I want to see how straight you walk when your feet hit the ground. And I can remember as a young believer going, yeah, but I'm going to jump higher. Um, like part of me is saying like, no, I'm going to pour all the oil out. Okay. The statement is not to say, hey, when you come to worship, put your hands in your pockets and stand real still and don't move because you don't want to seem like you actually have any emotions. Oh, like, I'm going to pour it all out in worship. I'm going to jump higher. But but we also want to be people who walk straighter throughout the week. Okay, and so what I'm trying to show you is that 
as movements like ours, again, we want encounter, we want revival, and yeah. Um, but revival and encounter must be yoked with discipleship. Okay, and an and awakening only takes place when people who encounter the Lord, jump high, walk straight on Monday morning. And unhealthy charismatic churches, unhealthy spirit churches, what they often do is they jump high on Sunday morning, nobody reads their Bible, and they walk like drunks on Monday morning. And, and we want to be a, a church that wants more of the Spirit. If the Spirit's being poured out and there's revival, we want to lean in. At the same time, we recognize that part of encountering Jesus for this demoniac is that tomorrow he's got to walk free, walk whole, walk faithful. Are, are you guys following me so far? So I'm studying the Moravians. I'm going to talk a little bit long today, but it's my right, okay? My God-given right. First Amendment, okay? I'm, st- I'm studying the Moravians again, and, um, you know, the Moravians really come from John Huss is their, their, their root. John Huss in, like, the 1400s is, uh, 14th century is, he, he's martyred because he's trying to, he's a Catholic priest, and he's teaching um, that the Bible is sufficient, and that all people should have the Bible in their language, and that preaching should be in their language, and that's that should be discipleship. And so he's rejected and martyred for that. So the foundation of the community was every person reading their Bible. That was the start. Okay, and as the community developed over over the, the centuries, really, um, it was in the 18th century that this group of Moravians, they connected with uh, a man named Count Zinzendorf in Germany, um, uh, and he gave them a, a, an area to live because they were being persecuted by the Catholic Church for reading their Bibles. They started a new community um, called Herrenhut, which means God's protection or God's strength protecting us. And in this new community, they kind of had religious freedom. And what ended up happening was like, oh, it wasn't just Moravians. Now they're all kind of different Lutherans and Calvinists who eventually come into the group. But their community starts with, Bible, Bible, Bible. Then they got to this place where they were doing what they called accountability groups. So five, six, seven people were meeting to confess their sin to each other and to talk about what parts of my life dishonor Christ and how do I mature. And then they decided what they would do. They'd start a 24-hour prayer chain. So, so watch what I'm trying to show you. A community that says Bible, discipleship, and accountability. 24-hour prayer. We're going to pray, pray, pray. And then as they prayed, they started the first Protestant missions movement. They started sending people around the world. Literally, they're sending people to uh, St. Thomas, to like the Caribbean, and and they're losing their life because of, you know, malaria and these kind of things they're getting as they're preaching to slaves. You got white people in Heronhood dying in, a, in an age where there was still segregation, dying to preach the gospel to slaves because they thought... They were um, created in the image of God. Where'd they get that from? I don't know the Bible that they've been studying. And so they go, they try to sell themselves into slavery. They, this, the slave owners won't buy them because they're white, but they go anyway. They say, whatever, we're going to come. They preach the gospel in St. Thomas and they see salvations. There are still churches today in St. Thomas that were planted by Moravians. And then they said, you know what? Let's go to India. Let's go to continental America. They're preaching to India. So you have this, this small community who, who learned the balance of Bible people, spirit people, discipleship people, prayer people, worship people, and then 
lay all our lives down for the gospel. Let's go. Let's get people radically transformed for the gospel of Christ. But we can't get there if we don't mature into some balance and hold some paradoxes in both hands. Okay? And so the, what I want to show you today is that this man had a radical encounter with the incarnate Son of God. And, and then Jesus didn't say, tomorrow come back and we're going to do it again. He didn't say, you know what? You know, you might need to go get an apartment now. I don't know that caves are going to work for you anymore and tombs. It might creep people out. Um, but what you can do is we'll have a service tomorrow and we'll do the same thing and you can roll around and cry and weep again and have chill bumps again. We're going to do chill bumps again tomorrow. No, no. He's got to be a disciple. He's got to hold fast to the testimony. So we'll work through this text. And, and I want us to see again that the epitome of our Christian life can't be emotion, experience, if I call it sometimes, forgive me, this is a little bit dramatic, conference Christianity that says, I need to go to the next conference to have the next experience to, to be filled again. And it's like, conferences aren't bad. You, you can. But if all you're doing in your Christian life is conference jumping in hopes of getting chill bumps and having the worship experience, man, read your Bible. And, and I'm going to get there, but if in your Christian life you feel like you're constantly needing deliverance ministry. Like you've got to constantly come and be prayed because you're being attacked by demons or you think you have demons. Like maybe you should stop playing with demons. Like live a holy life. I don't know. Turn off the pornography. Good start. And, and so sometimes in what, what we're wrestling with right now in the, in the larger bodies, there's so much talk about deliverance. And what we're doing is we're saying, uh, keep coming for inner healing, keep coming for deliverance, keep coming back to the altar, back to the altar. And I'm like, man, if, at some point, get in an accountability group, confess your sin, get off, stop opening doors for demonic play. Um, I, don't, I don't mean that to be harsh, but as a church, that's what it looks like to mature, is to, to live holy lives, is to live devoted to Jesus. And our focus can't be on what, what could the enemy possibly be doing with demonic stuff. The eyes of the church gaze at Jesus. The eyes of the church worship the sovereign God of the universe. And when we're there, we're not, we're not worried about what the little demons are doing. We're worried about how can I honor Christ with all my life? Okay, talking too much. Let me read. Mark 5, verse 14 through 20. The herdsmen fled and they told it in the city and the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion. He was sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that was a, a region of about 10 Greek cities, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Now again, remember, Jesus came to Gentile territory here. That was new to his ministry so far. You remember he got in the boat and he said, let's go across and the great storm came. He calms the storm. He gets off on the shores of this demoniac. And as he gets off the boat, the demoniac comes running. We find in the Gospels that this man is naked. We see in the 
this is in all the synoptic gospels. The synoptics are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called synoptic because they kind of carry the same story, uh, the same layout. Um, in all the synoptic gospels, he's naked. He's cutting himself, remember? He's, you know, self-mutilation. We get the idea clearly that there's a suicidal thing happening. He's been chained on several occasions, Mark told us. They chained him. They didn't have straight jackets. Somebody should have invented that. Um, but they didn't have straight jackets, so they used chains to try to chain him. But through some demonic supernatural power, he's breaking the chains. Um, I can also do that. I don't know if you remember that strongman thing where people, I can do that too, just so you know. Um, no, it, it's by demonic power. He's breaking chains. And Jesus comes to the shores of this man's life. The man throws him at the feet of, throws himself at the feet of Jesus and this twisted conversation starts. Remember, uh, we talked about the fact that uh, the, the pronouns keep changing. I, we, them. Jesus says, who are you? We are many. He says, my name is Legion, so singular, but we are many, plural. And Jesus sends the demons. They beg, can we go into the pigs? Jesus sends the demons into a herd of pigs. The herd of pigs immediately kill themselves, drown themselves. And that's where we pick the narrative up. The scripture says that the herdsmen, if you can imagine being employed as a herdsman, or maybe it's your own flock, and all of your flock just drown themselves, it's a bad day. <laughs> Not a good look. Um, it says the herdsmen, they left. Right? There's no more pigs to watch. Might as well. They left, and they went to, did you notice in the text, it said they went to, to city and country. Um, they told it to the city and the country. What does that mean? They went everywhere. Boy, to the people living on the farms, the rural people, to the urban people, red, yellow, black, and white, you heard about the demon tonight, okay? It, it happened. Um, and so they, everyone in the community, they clearly know this maniac, this demoniac. I think that they're clearly aware that demoniac is living in the tombs. They've told their kids, you know, run through the city, play on the fields, stay away from the crazy man. He'll eat you. Um, and so... They start to talk. They're running around. They're telling everyone. They're, they're also, imagine this, thousands of dead pigs floating in the water. And people just going, I ain't cleaning it up. Uh, that's on you. Um, so there, there's just a scene. Can I say it that way? Just a scene. And, and, and sometimes when Jesus comes into a city, it's kind of a messy scene, right? Like there's, this is messed, this, things are, order is messed up. And, and now the pigs are dead floating in the water, but the demoniac, He's not naked anymore. Praise God. Sometimes when God gets a hold of your life, he tells you to put clothes on. I don't know. It just happens. Um, <laughs> the demoniac is clothed in his right mind. And watch his posture. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's the posture of a student sitting to hear the teaching of a rabbi. So he's, he's, he's sitting in the posture of, I'm here to learn. In, in our context, that would mean he has his Bible out and his notes ready and he's listening to what Jesus is saying. He's sitting in the posture of disciple and the crowd goes, what has happened? What in the world has happened? The echoes, I think, of the storm calming. Um, remember when the storm was calmed in chapter four, when Jesus uh, got up from his sleep and they said, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus says to the storm, remember in our language, kind of sit down and shut up. Stop. It's like he's aggravated, like our dog barking. He's, shut up, you know? He's, he's aggravated. So he tells the storm to sit down. And the text says, immediately, everyone in the boat, they were afraid. And we echoed that today in our passage. Because it says that the crowds became afraid of Jesus. 
sometimes there's a good holy fear. We would call that reverence in our society, being reverent for Jesus. We need a little more fear of God in our society. And so they were afraid um, that 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 fear got mingled with, I think, the economic impact of losing 2,000 pigs. I think the, the herdsmen started saying, you know, he's coming for your sheep next, man. You better get rid of him. Like, there was an economic impact, and they, they started to say, please leave. Please go. And so they began to run Jesus off. Here the Gentile man has an hour of decision. Okay, he's sitting with his clothes on. Feels good. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. The crowds are saying, we don't want anything to do with them. Gentile nation. We don't want anything to do with them. Please go, go. And the Gentile man says to Jesus, would you please take me with you? That's a request to be one of the 12, maybe, to be an official disciple. That's the request of a man um, wanting to be the student of a teacher. And again, in our culture, that would be a little bit like an internship, like wanting to intern under Jesus. He says, can I be one of yours? The response from Jesus is interesting because Jesus says over and over that his ministry is first to the Jews, then the Gentiles. Um, And so he's mainly primarily ministering to Jewish cities, to Jewish people who have been expecting Messiah. And so for Jesus, number one, the number 12 is kind of established. We get that from the 12 apostles. Um, But there were other disciples floating around. But for Jesus, um, bringing in a Gentile would rock the boat a little, would make things harder as he entered into Jewish cities. And Jesus is also saying to the Gentile man, we know there are at least 10 cities bunched together here. And Jesus is saying, look, they don't want me. I'm not going to bring you with me. I'm not going to allow you to see my miracles. I'm not going to allow you to witness the walking on water. You won't see the Mount of Transfiguration when all my glory is expressed. You won't even be around for my resurrection or ascension or Pentecost even. What, What I'm calling you to do is to go to the region that rejects me and testify. He could wallow. You guys hear me? He could wallow and say, man, I really, you know, I wanted to be with them. And sometimes we wallow, if you will. We're like, I wanted, I can't tell you how many young people. I thought God was calling me to be the next Reinhardt Bunky or, or Billy Graham. I thought God was calling me to be the great worship leader. I thought God was going to allow me to travel the world and preach the gospel. But at some point in your Christian maturity, you just have to realize that what God's calling you to do is not about you feeling better for yourself. God has intentionality in his purposes and plans. He's the sovereign God of all the universe. And he decrees and ordains all things. And as a servant to that God, when he says, stay put, you stay put. And he has the right to not open up the doors for you to be the next Billy Graham. It's in his, in his will. When you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to being a slave to the master. And this guy could have said, man, wanted to be Peter. Jesus said, I don't care what you want to be. I'm telling you what you are going to be. You are going to be a witness in the Decapolis. You're going to be a witness in the Gentile region. Now, I want you to think with me for a minute. We're we're going to spend a few moments to think about the implications of the text. The text has a, a direct, surface, straight meaning, but there's some secondary, third level implications that I want to take the time to to draw out today because I think they'll be meaningful for us. 
Jesus says, go home to your friends. He had friends and family at some point. Go home to your friends and testify. Tell them what I did in your life. Live in their midst. Get a job. Work a nine to five. Tell people every chance you get about what I've done for you. Go home. What is the aftermath of this great encounter for this man? It's to live faithful to the testimony of what God did. To recite it, to recount it, to keep the testimony. It is not, hear me say this, the aftermath cannot be for him. Tomorrow, I'm going to find, I'm going to go to synagogue and roll around and try to see if I can get delivered again. It's not tomorrow, I'm going to try to have a moment where I weep again. It's not, hey, what you should do, demoniac, is cry. See how much you, how many chill bumps you can get. It's go home and live faithful to what I, what I did today was an altar in your life that you've got to live consistent with for decades to come. Now, in the life of Abraham, in the life of Isaac, in the life of the patriarchs, they have moments, encounters. Think of Jacob at Bethel. A moment, an encounter with God, where he sees the ladder and angels ascending and descending. He says, this place is the house of God. A moment, a beautiful encounter that we cherish here as a church. I pray that my kids have encounters with the Holy Spirit. I, God said, God, I need you to meet my kids. But the, but the encounter, the altar, the, the covenant, the relationship that was established at Bethel, it had to matter the next day and the next day. And there's a day coming when Jacob's going to deal with Laban and there's going to be deceit and there's going to be frustration. And he has to honor the God of the altar in the hour of temptation. Okay, so if you will, I know this isn't perfect analogy, discipleship, faithfulness, holiness to the God of the encounter, even when there are no chill bumps. Even when I don't feel like serving you right now, God. I'm going to be faithful to the testimony. Okay, so he's got to, he's got to live in the faithfulness. Now, i just show you again quickly. Gosh, I don't want to beat a dead horse. But for some of you, it ain't dead yet. So let's just do it again. Okay. What happens, and I'm, I'm being lighthearted because I, I don't mean to be critical. You guys, sometimes I do mean to be critical. Okay, sometimes I am <laughs> trying to whip you. Right now, I'm not whipping. I'm just trying to help us. I might get the belt out later, okay? We'll make Pastor Brad stand up front, and then I'll just get him. Um, I'm not trying to whip right now. I'm trying to be helpful. What happens is many times in movements like ours, people have encounters, I think legitimate encounters, with the Spirit, with deliverance. Physical healing happens. Praise God. We want more of it. You have a moment where you have a feeling of the Spirit, and you maybe have a vision or an encounter. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's an altar. What happens when you start trying to replicate that encounter is you'll start to chase what I would call either fleshly experiences or false experiences. And you'll go to this church and that church and this conference and that conference, and you're just looking for another altar. And I just want to tell you, the sovereignty of God has to meet you at an altar. Um, and he will throughout your life. I'm not saying that he won't. But you can't force it or manufacture it or manipulate it. And, and so many times what you're actually seeking, forgive me, is just an emotional high. And I had to learn this as a young preacher because I wanted to preach so bad. And there are some days where it was like the spirit just wasn't on my preaching. It just wasn't going anywhere. And so I would preach harder and yell louder. And what I learned kind of subtly in a manipulation is that sometimes people think my adrenaline is anointing. 
But if you felt my adrenaline and I preached a message to you and you walked out and it didn't change your life, there was no anointing. But adrenaline can be entertaining. And, and, and I could shout and jump and be dramatic and we could have the best worship and the best praise and you can be entertained. You can be emotional. You can, but if you leave and your marriage is still in shambles, then God's spirit's not in it. And what's happening when you, when you slide into what I again call conference Christianity or this kind of pursuing experience, experience, experience Christianity is you hop from here to here to here. And you don't even care anymore if what you're hearing or sitting in is biblical because all you're after is a touch to your emotions. And what I'm encouraging you to is faithfulness to the testimony is to get up from the altar, get up tomorrow morning and read your scripture, even if you feel dry and tired. And the next day, you get up and read your scripture because you remember what God did for you. And the next day, and, and hey, maybe in six months, God's going to fall on you again and you have a vision or a dream and it's beautiful and it, you feel awesome. Cool. But let me tell you what you're going to do the next. You're going to get up and you're going to read your Bible and you're going to pray. And listen, y'all hear me. And you're going to submit yourself one to another. And when other believers call you on your garbage, you've got to learn to humble yourself and submit. You don't get to say, well, I went to this conference and they told me this and that. And you can't just keep jumping from teacher to teacher to try to justify your posture because you're actually not leaning into Christian maturity. Okay, you guys, you hear my heart? I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not. Maybe next week. Okay, but but this, I'm just trying to get us to move along in Christian maturity. Okay, and I want you to think again about the Moravians. The Moravians who had accountability, they confessed their sins one to another, they repented, they allowed each other to challenge each other, they read their Bible every day, Bible studies, Bible studies, Bible studies. Then they prayed, hey, wouldn't your turn to pray in the prayer chain? And then they said, let's go change the world. But, but there was encounter and faithfulness to the scripture and discipleship and by God, perseverance, perseverance and endurance. And so I'm trying to show you that this man had to get up tomorrow and live faithful to what God had done for him. Now, I want to say this. Second, this man's testimony depends, to some extent, it it must be built upon the continued faithfulness of his life. His call is to be a witness. That may be the greatest call in all of humanity, to be a witness for Jesus. What else could you want? Be a witness. Let me tell you what he can't do, okay? He can't go out tomorrow to meet his friend and say, let me tell you about what Jesus did and then start foaming at the mouth and growling. Right? Right? Like he's, he, he can't, if he, I don't know, the scripture doesn't tell us how this man got this demonized, right? He's obviously the most demonized man in scripture. We don't know if he was playing with witchcraft or a cult, or maybe he came from a family of some kind of pagan idolatrous worship. We don't know how his life got to where it got, but what he can't do is go back to it. Okay, and so I'm, I'm going to, what I'm going to give you now is my perspective, okay? And I want to say that pastors across America disagree on this perspective, that this is not a, a matter of, at least on the surface, not a matter of whether or not you're faithful to Scripture. There, there's different nuances to what we're going to talk about, and, and nuance is okay. You don't have to agree with what I'm going to say. I'm just going to ask you to maybe search the Scripture again for yourself and ponder um, so what I'm saying now is not doctrine of the church, Caleb's perspective, and I hope you find it helpful, okay? I want to say this. There are almost always two ditches on the side of a road, 
And right now, there's this really heavy conversation happening in the church. Since COVID, the online ministries launched, there's heavy conversation going on about Christians and demons and what that looks like or doesn't look like. What is biblical and everyone agrees on, because we have texts to agree on it, is that Christians wrestle with demonic powers for the rest of your Christian life. So Paul says, you are going to wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities. And what you need to do is wear the armor of God. You need to suit yourself up in prayer because you're going to fight with demons for the rest of your life. You're going to fight with demons. And so that's established. Everyone agrees on that. So if we start there, this demoniac who was filled with demons yesterday, maybe practiced a cult, definitely played with suicide, this stuff. Tomorrow, he's going to have to wrestle with demons and he can't play with that stuff anymore, right? He's got to live faithful to the testimony. To be a faithful witness again, he can't go over to his friend's house and say, let me tell you what Jesus did for me while he's bleeding from his wrist, right? <laughs> he's got to live free. Okay, so everyone agrees on that, that Christians can and should and will wrestle with demonic powers. We get into this conversation about what, how far can a demon impact a Christian? And that conversation is very nuanced, okay? And people, and just to be honest, in the East, in Christianity, they have a different perspective than a lot in the West. I'm going to give you my perspective. I'm going to say that pastors around town who disagree with me are not heretics. Um, The majority of the pastors in our community are men of God who are faithful to the word, who we should honor. So if I I hear you saying, Caleb said this, but this pastor says this, so he's a heretic, I'm going to kick you in the butt, then the whip will come out. Um, I'm obviously being dramatic. But you guys see what I'm saying? I'm not, we are not as a church going to posture ourselves to say, here are our secondary or third views and anyone who disagrees with our views and they aren't like us, they're all going to hell in a handbasket. I'm not doing that. And if, and if you're doing that, that's, that to me is a conversation with me or the elders. Okay, we're not, we're not gossiping or slandering uh, other churches. And so, but what I believe in the road is, I don't think it is normal for Christians to have demons. I don't think it is normal. I think the Christian who pursues Jesus, loves Jesus, walk, what's normal is to walk in the spirit every day. And as we walk in the Spirit and we pursue Christ, there is a covering by the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't just say to every demonic power, hey, if you want him, you can have him, right? The Spirit covers us and keeps us. I think as we walk with Jesus, we're protected and kept. And the blood of Jesus is powerful. And the covenant we have with Jesus Christ cleanses us and washes us and keeps us. I think that's the normal Christian life. But the ditch on each side of the road is on one hand, Paul does say, he says things like, Let's go to this text, 2 Corinthians. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But remember what the text says. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And this is what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. And if you sleep with a prostitute, you're uniting your body with the prostitute? And the the implication of the text is not to say, hey, it's impossible for you to play with demons and have demons by uniting yourself with a prostitute. The implication by saying, do you not know, is to say, you should not be sleeping with prostitutes because your body's a temple of the Spirit. Don't try to bring that stuff in with the Holy Spirit. And so you, I'm trying to say that I, I think, and I could, I could be wrong. I admitted that. I think that it's not normal for Christians to have believers, but if you, to have demons. But if you call yourself a Christian and you've never been discipled and you're sleeping around and you're playing with Ouija boards, you're messing with the occult, if you call yourself a Christian and you're men, you're looking at pornography day in and day out, you need discipleship, but you may have demonic influences messing with you. 
Okay, and there may be a need for some prayer to get with a friend and say, pray with me because I think there might be some demonic influence. Now, I don't think that's normal or right for a Christian, but I don't think God says to believers, hey, now that you're in covenant with me and you have the spirit, I don't think God's saying, go sleep with prostitutes. Go to the, Paul says, um, he talks about, he talks to the believers about, um, in Corinthians, about coming to the table of communion and drinking the, he says, do you not know when you drink the cup? You're communing with Christ. He's telling them that they can't go to pagan temples and commune with demons and then come and commune with Christ. So, again, I think Paul's saying, you should not. This, should, this is not right. This is not normal. But I don't think Paul's saying it's impossible for a Christian to play with demons. I think some Christians do. And sometimes I question whether or not they're even Christians. Just because you call yourself a Christian, that don't tell me anything. Your fruit has to be in line secondary, sometimes what we do is, and, and Seth and I were talking about this recently. I'm going to go too long. I'm just getting that off my chest. In church history, in church history, baptism was such a big deal. And so for the first three or 400 years, you would be catechized or you would go through a class and do repentance and talk about holiness before baptism. Sometimes that class was up to a year long, sometimes even longer. And sometimes when you got into the baptismal, you would confess your sins to the body. Seth, help me. You would turn your back to the world. Like there was all this imagery of repenting from demonic powers and coming to Christ and repenting of your sexual sins. And I think there was a real cleansing and deliverance and holiness that they walked in. But in America today, we say, hey, will you raise your hand? Raise your hand. Lift your hand. And you do like this and we go, Christian. And I'm like, I don't know, dude, if you're still sleeping with prostitutes and you're addicted to pornography, you you might have demons. And, and maybe you're, this was, wasn't a real conversion experience. Maybe your discipleship is lacking. But what I'm trying to say to us, because many of us are going down this conversation, the, the ditch on one side is to say, Christians can never have demonic influence. Therefore, look at whatever you want, have sex with whatever you want. And let me just say again that almost no one says this. People who don't believe this, they don't say this. But some of us begin to think this way. I can't have demonic influence. So who cares if I smoke weed? Who cares if I use drugs? And I'm saying like, I don't know. I'm not playing with Ouija boards. I'm, I wouldn't open that door. The other ditch, and I'm worried this is where some of us are leaning. The other ditch is to say Christians always have demons. And all Christians have demons. And you need, you need to come to the altar every week to be delivered of your demons. And there's no such thing as freedom. And if your kids ever see a skeleton or something, then you need to bring them for deliverance. And we need to shout and jump. And throw some more stuff because we're a demonized bunch of people. And, and I'm just saying, like, that's silly. If you need deliverance every week, you don't need deliverance. You need discipleship. Okay? You need, you need to get in a small group. You need to read your Bible every day. And so I'm not, so hear me. If you come to Caleb, this is Caleb's perspective. If you come to Caleb and say, I'm having night terrors. I'm having suicidal thoughts. If there's some symptom that seems like it could be coming from a demonic power, I am, I am okay with saying, let's, let's go to the altar, let's go to the, my office, and let's pray and ask the Lord to deliver you of any demonic influence right now. I'm okay with that if you have a symptom. That's, that's not, to me, anti-biblical. On the other hand, if you're just so bored with your Christian life that you've got to make up this mystical stuff to keep yourself excited, what are you? it's like a wife who's been married to her husband for, for 20 years, and she's just a little bored, so she starts flirting with her coworkers. And then she justifies it by saying, oh, we're just having fun. And, and where does that, 
what, are you so bored with the gospel of Christ that you've got to pander in this other stuff to get yourself entertained again? Like, why not fall in love with Jesus? Why not come back to your first love? Why not gaze upon his glory? Why not worship and pray and live faithful to the scriptures? And so I'm just saying that we're a little out of whack right now in, a, in some things happening in the larger body. And what I'm asking us to do is, for me, and, and I think I can say for our elders, we are, we are okay with the idea that a Christian may have demonic influence and need prayer for that. I am not okay with the idea that you need prayer every week. I am not okay with the idea that what we should do is just keep circling that round and round so we feel better about ourselves. At some point, you need to live holy and devote yourself to Jesus. And men, men and women, turn off the pornography. Spouses of, you know your spouse is addicted to pornography. Just get rid of the TVs. Unplug the internet. Get a dumb phone. I don't know. Get radical about our lives belong to Jesus. Okay, hear me, guys. Alcoholism. I, I don't partake. I recognize that, biblically speaking, you can have a glass of wine. I'm not saying that if you ever have a beer, you're going to hell. I'm not saying that. Um, I choose not to partake. But if you're flirting with that every weekend and you're getting a little too tipsy, stop. Be faithful to Jesus. You, you guys follow what I'm saying? We've, we've got to live faithful to the gospel of Jesus. So I say all that to say, I'm trying to do all of that to get us to this point to say that for this man, his call now is to not live in the glorious experience that the disciples are going to have. Okay, disciples are going to see healing every week. I believe there are people in the body of Christ who see healing weekly, um, daily even. Maybe we see healing weekly, maybe every other week. Um, but I do not see physical healing every day when I pray for the sick. Um, I don't see it. I believe people do. I would love for that to be me, and I pray and lean into and want God to do that in me. But in the meantime, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to hold my post and my position well. And so, so here's my position. We're in this region. There are certain demonic influences, I believe. We've got a real lethargic thing happening, okay? We're a little stale. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but it's a lot about how comfortable can we be and not how laid down can we be. And so here I am in this region. My life's not power and glory every day. I've got some moments, but I'm not having daily ecstatic encounters with the Holy Ghost. But in the meantime, I promise you, I read the scripture every day. In the meantime, I promise you, I'm not giving myself to pornography. I'm not giving myself to alcohol. I'm going to live devoted to Jesus even when the chill bumps are absent because I'm faithful to the God who transformed my life when I was depressed, when I was empty. And if you're a Christian, you've had a moment. Don't spit on it. Don't spit on the moment. You live, you live faithful to it. You live with the Bible in your hand, leaning in, submitting yourself to other believers, submitting yourself to eldership and to teaching, to study the scriptures. We don't pursue the next conference with the next exciting thing. If, if anything, the Moravians weren't going from town to town saying, let's see if who can scratch our ears this week. The Moravians were going, all right, what are we studying this week? Romans 4? Here we go. And then they got up and said, okay, who's going... To the Caribbean, we're not going to the Caribbean. We're going to the next town to hear the next preacher because we want to be excited again. I'm saying let's get to the place where we say there is no facet of the earth that we're unwilling to go. Starting here. Starting in this region. You guys with that? Let's stand to your feet.
what I'd like to do today, in light of that word, is what I want to open the altars. I want to invite you to come and to maybe kneel before the Lord. And I want us to pray that God would reignite our simple devotion to the gospel. Okay, those of us who are maybe bored or tired, you haven't had chill bunks in six years. I'm not promising you're going to have them tomorrow. But what tomorrow you can have is a simple devotion to Jesus, to this gospel, to the person of the spirit. I'm not asking us to be ecstatic and exciting. I'm asking us to put ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice. Willing, Paul said, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, I want you to worship. I want us to say, as for our house, it might not be the most exciting. Come on. And we're, we're going to be a sacrifice. We're not the most exciting church in the day. We're the best looking church. We got that down, okay? We got it. Um, so I just want to open up this morning the altars. I want you to come and kneel. Altar team, if y'all get in place and just be willing to pray with anyone who is struggling. But I want us to just say this morning, Jesus, this house is for you, about you. My life is devoted to you. We got a single focus this morning. This church has a single focus, to gaze on Jesus, to gaze at the cross, to celebrate the resurrection. I want you to come.